Welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, the podcast that drags you kicking and screaming through complete discographies. You can find us wherever it is that people find podcasts, but I draw your attention in particular to our page on Beat Rehab, where you can easily find the Spotify playlist edit of the show. That's the one where all the talking is interspersed with actual music. If you join our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash group slash tempfans, you'll get all the news about upcoming podcasts and be able to participate in your own musical immersions. Anyway, it's episode 12, in which we'll complete our cosmic journey into the furthest reaches of seminal krautrock act, Can. If you haven't listened to part one yet, what are you waiting for? That's the one with Ege Bamyasi, Tago Margo and Future Days. As for today, well, according to many accounts, this is the bit where they drop off a cliff. But whilst the later records are seldom held in the same high regard as the first half of their career, we hope we can guide you towards some of the hidden nuggets that do occur on those later albums. Either way, we still had a lot of fun recording it, and we'll hope you'll enjoy picking over the carcass of the band after they lost Amo Suzuki. Joining Ewan and I for the carcass picking will be Aaron T. White and Christopher Whitby. Listen to us blather on, then go and listen to the records and reach your own conclusions, as we conclude the complete discography of Can. Welcome back to part two of Can. The first one was we got in the can. Um, currently, as I'm saying this, we don't know whether or not the technical problems that I seemed to have has any impact on part one. Hopefully not. Um, with me, as always, we've got Nick. Hello. Um, who is on a bound to tell you if anybody is from Hull. Um, rejoining us is Aaron. Hello there. And Chris. Hello. I'm not from Hull, but I am from Scunthorpe. So does that count, Nick? Not far down the road. That's true. That could have been my I am on a bound to mention moment in this, uh, in this where episode. You, where are you originally from, Aaron? I never... I'm from Minnesota. Oh. That's, not, that's not near Hull. That's, that's, that's not, not here. It's not near that's Hull. That's not Hull. <laughs> that's definitely not Hull. Um, and I'm from Wolverhampton, if anybody cares. But if you listened to the last episode, you would know that. Uh, so you can tell I... us how the sauce is pronounced, right? That's Worcester. <laughs> Wolverhampton sauce pronounced Worcester. <laughs> Worcestershire sauce. Um, I could do because it's just Worcestershire, um, but that's down the road, but it's not where I'm from. We don't have our own sauce. We do have um, orange chips, which are amazing. Um, if you're ever in the black country, uh, try orange chips. Seriously, they will blow your mind. Anyway, um, Aaron, we're doing part two of Can. We seem to have lost the plot slightly. What period albums uh are we running through today um we're running we're running through 1974 soon over babaluma um up through their final 1989 because they recorded it earlier but 1989 album right time excellent well you are going to be hearing aaron talking you through uh, those very shortly as always you can hear uh spotify playlist with selected tracks or just pause us uh, go and find stuff on your favorite streaming services. Uh, that bark was Aaron's Vizsla, um, and you'll probably hear more of that later. And the next voice you will hear will be Aaron after this. In 1973, Can was on top of the world. Well, at least the world of weird German music. 
But all good things must come to an end, I suppose. In 1972, Damo had gotten married, but it wasn't his wife who'd play the Yoko, but Jesus. That's right, one day, Damo Suzuki would open the door for a Jehovah's Witness. Next thing you know, rock music loses one of its most distinctive singers. Let that be a cautionary tale for us all. In future interviews, he'd downplay religion's role in his decision to quit Can. Apparently, he felt like the band had reached their peak, and he himself had become merely a part of the musical landscape. Thus, he was set free. Or something like that. Damo was only second to Holger in making no sense. Any way you put it, Can was once again Sand's singer. They auditioned a few possibilities, but nobody fit, and no random nomad had wandered into their axis, so the band just decided that Michael and Ehrman would be enough. In general, they didn't enjoy singing, because they felt it distracted from their instruments. But this was a willing sacrifice. In a band driven by collective creative reactions, the wrong addition could be catastrophic for the chemistry. And yes, I did pause so that last sentence felt like foreshadowing. Michael started focusing on a new instrument, the electric violin. And your views on this is likely to determine how you feel about their 1974 album, Soon Over Babaluma. Yes, I know that can titles often sound like gibberish. Well, I assure you, according to the band, Soon Over Babaluma most certainly is. Here we see Tan continuing with the more ambient side from future days. But you can hear Damo's absence. He seems to have taken the melodies and the excitement with him, yet the band does their best to emulate him. To some, this is the last great album Can made. For others, this is the first in their hard slide into terribleness. Oh, did, did we not mention that Can gets terrible? So yeah, Can gets terrible, but not on this album though. For its entire history, Can had played around with various genres of music from around the world in a group of compositions they called the Ethnological Forgery Series. In a lot of ways, Soon Over Babaluma feels like an extended exercise in it. Can bounces around in different styles, from the tango of Comsta La Luna to the Latin jazz of Splash. One of the most interesting tracks is Chain Reaction which may be the first of the more African-influenced works. Chain Reaction bounces around a myriad of genres without ever really sounding forced, and inventing a new style of electronic music in the process. Now, it's hard to come down from the insane heights of the last few albums, but this one is well worth your time, because I promise you, as we move forward, you'll miss this version of Can right here. 1975's Landed finds Can signed to Virgin Records. That's right, here they are on a mega label, which was great timing for everyone involved because things are about to get really hairy from here on out. Now I warned earlier that Can is going to become terrible. Don't, but don't go anywhere. If there's one thing we love here at the Temp Fans podcast, it's a sharp decline in quality. Sorry, we 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 don't love it. But when you make it your goal to listen to entire discographies, it just comes with the territory. So listeners, I know you're tempted to jump ship, 
because even this guy, who's such a big fan of Can that he's doing a podcast about them, is saying that these albums suck. Well, you need to embrace the bad. Approach these albums like you would a film by Ed Wood. There are moments that will make you laugh. There are moments that will get on your nerves. Most of this is going to be a bit boring, but just know, Late Era Can is not as bad as its reputation, and we have some great stuff coming up. And that's really why we do this. Finding those lost secret classics buried on bad albums. Now Can is under no delusion about the quality of what's to come. They're critical too. In one interview, Yaki said the band should have stopped after future days. Now I wouldn't go that far, but I understand his sentiment. If there's one thing that the band regards as the cause of their downfall, it's their purchase of a 16-track recording system. Now just for context, they were used to working with two. That means that for the first time in their career, they didn't need to be together to record. Despite this, their general strategy of jamming together and editing the best bits in the tracks remains their modus operandi. Yet, the individual members found themselves hanging back, re-recording their parts, adding overdubs. Just knowing that they could go back and fix something later was enough to break the band. Holger didn't feel too comfortable with the new equipment, so he hired somebody to help with the mix, Tony Robinson. They were not happy at all with the results, so they took the reins for the B-side of the album, but sadly, it was too late to fix the damage Toby had done. Landed finds Can rocking hard. Maybe it was the pressure of being on a major label, but they sound like they're trying to do something a bit more poppy here. It almost sounds like a glam record, but it's, it's still Can doing glam. Now Michael, he goes full guitar hero here using the technology to add more and more and more guitars because, well, that's just what you did in 1975. The last track, Unfinished, is among the most ambient and experimental of their career. It's a track that was composed on a magic day by the studio itself. The band had found an old broken organ they wanted to fix, but it spontaneously came alive and started making cool noises. They kept recording what happened and loved the sound, adding what they could to it. They captured all they could of this magic moment. Then, the organ stopped, and it never turned on again. If you interpret this as a symbol for Can's career, I won't tell you you're wrong. When you start listening to full discographies, you begin to notice certain trends. For example, inevitably, and very often in the mid-70s, every band is going to take a misguided stab at reggae. If they haven't, then they'd either broken up before they got the chance, or they just haven't had enough time. Now you would think that Can would be a great candidate to make reggae. I'll let me not finishing that thought do the speaking for me. So Can did the other thing the bands did in the mid to late 70s. They made a disco track. Now you would think that Can would be a great candidate to make disco. And they are. It even yielded them 
a top 40 UK hit. You heard me right. Top 40 UK hit. I Want More is a lot of fun. It even landed them a spot on top of the pops. Their invitation was so sudden, they couldn't even get the full band together. They went on without Michael, who was gallivanting somewhere in Kenya. While his Top of the Pops is famously a mime performance, they chose somebody who looked as far from Michael as they could find. An afroed white guy in sunglasses. Was he Lou Reed? We'll never know. Unfortunately, the band was unable to get much momentum behind I Want More. Ehrman injured his back while moving a washing machine, and was thus unable to tour for the album. Still, for many in the UK, 1976's Flow Motion stands as their first can album. I don't want to say that this is a terrible album. It's not. Some people even consider it a hidden gem of their catalogue. I quite like, for example, the mysterious Smoke. It's a lot more ambient and weird than the rest of the album, and just feels more like a can track. But I think it's clear that the fire has gone. This is just a band going through the motions. When listening to this, you have to wonder if Can has any self-awareness at all. If they never actually knew what it was that made them good. In the end, Reggae Can would ultimately prove a dead end for the group. Changes were on the way. Can started with four young men who wanted to use the avant-garde to create something that had never been done before. It was a rejection of virtuosity, of convention. Their goal was just to create. But success started to change them. They had fans to worry about. They were on a major label. They had even had a top 40 hit. Everyone was starting to master their instruments, but one member was beginning to be left behind. Holger's attention was always split between playing bass and trying to make something coherent from the piles of tapes the band was generating. Also, with the 16-track recorder, it was easier to isolate their weaknesses. As time went on, the band became more and more let down by his playing, and at some point, Holger decided it was time to find his replacement. In 1977, Holger met the Jamaican Roscoe Gee at a recording for a UK television spot, and the two hit it off immediately. Next thing you know, Roscoe was traveling to Germany to jam a bit. Yaki was notoriously picky about his rhythm partners, but Roscoe fit right in. Sometimes, I wonder if Holger inviting Roscoe was a bluff, a chance to say, yeah sure, I'm not the most technical bassist in the world, but let's see what happens when we add somebody else. Holger's skill was in always choosing just that right note. He was content just strumming the same one or two note patterns into infinity, but these notes were often catchy and grounded the band in even their most extreme freakouts. Roscoe was completely different. He was flashier, played lots of notes, he was a jazz player, fresh off a stint with the late era traffic, and he brought with him his old bandmate, the Ghanaian Rebop Kwaku Ba. And this was just a kick the band needed. Michael had returned from a trip to Africa, buzzing with ideas, and here the band was with an actual African percussionist. It was only inevitable that they would go full Paul Simon, but they did it before it was uncool. 
Thus far, we've heard funky can, glam can, disco can, reggae can. Well, 1977's Saw Delight shows us Afrobeat can. If you're expecting some deep Fay funk, you will be disappointed. A lot of this sounds like something you'd expect a grilled cheese sandwich vendor at a fish show to be pumping. Hopefully enough of you have been to Bonnaroo to know what I mean. If you find live material from this era, you can hear that Can could still rip it up. It's just a shame they couldn't capture that in the studio. But you can tell that Yaki and Rebop were having a blast. Eno and Talking Heads would take this formula to the stratosphere. But it doesn't fully work for Can. I think the 15-minute polyrhythmic jam, Animal Waves, comes the closest to showing the potential of this sound, but ultimately, it's pretty aimless. And what about Holger, you may ask? Well, he stayed with the band, adding experimental effects using wave generators, found sounds, telephones, and a shortwave radio to add textures to the music. One could say that he was pioneering the art of sampling. I think his contributions added some personality to what would otherwise be a pretty bland album. But when they played live, he just got stuffed in the corner. And ultimately, Holder began the transition from a band member to somebody who was just, quote, slowly fading out with strange noises. Tensions in the band were running high by 1978 especially in regards to Holger. General vibe from all I've read is that the band was being steered in one direction, while Holger was paddling off alone in another. The band became ever more focused on the rhythmic attack of Rebop and Yaki, but Holger was adding elements that often didn't fit. He was looking for the happy accidents, the magic but fleeting moments they'd try to capture in the past. However, with the ballads being shifted towards a tighter unit, Holger found himself being pushed out. He had a hard time in particular getting along with Rebop, who basically saw him as a fool who was just messing around. Rebop wasn't the only one who was annoyed with Holger, but Ermin was always there to help mediate the conflicts. But even he stopped sticking up for Holger. It was likely due to Holger telling Ermin's wife and band manager Hildegard that Ermin had been having an affair with Michael's ex-girlfriend. Such things are never good for band chemistry but it's hard to blame that completely on Holger. One night on tour, in frustration, Rebop walked over to Holger's electronic setup and ripped his equipment out from the wall, sparking a violent fight, with Holger ultimately leaving the band. After what was, in the end, their final tour, the remnants of the group convened and recorded a fair contender for the worst album ever made, 1978's Out of Reach. It was so bad, the band had disowned it for a while. It wasn't remastered until 2014, unlike the rest of their discography, which got touched up in 1989. It features lead vocals by Roscoe and Rebop, who seemed to look at Malcolm Mooney for inspiration. Maybe they thought that what makes a good can singer is nursery rhymes or singing out of key. Rebop's lead vocal on Like Inobe God was so terrible, he was thankfully not allowed to sing again. A review from Pitchfork sums this album up best. Out of Reach is an inspiration. Knowing that the godlike musical force that recorded the Tagomago, Egebom Yase, Future Days Troika could, 
only a few short years later, sink to this level of awfulness makes anything seem possible. Perhaps our lives are in constant state of flux, and any one of us might turn out to be a hero or a murderer. An exciting prospect if you think about it. In lieu of forcing some bad tracks from this album onto you, our playlist will instead feature a reminder of how far the band has fallen. Here's a non-album single from When Can Was Actually Good, Turtles Have Short Legs from 1971. And because Christmas is almost upon us, our other selection is their version of Silent Night. Because really, the prospect of Can doing Christmas music is still less frightening than having to listen to Out of Reach again. Are you still here? That's good because Patience deserves rewards. Their 1979 self-titled album is much better than the previous one. And not just because the last one was a steaming pile, because it was actually pretty good. The band seems to have found their ability to lay down quality grooves again. Much of this may be helped by the return of Holger, at least as an editor. Sure, we're still in space disco land, but it's cool space disco. I can't help but feel there's been some influence from their fellow German, guitarist Michael Rother, with whom Yaki had been playing a lot around this time. It's especially evident on the lead track, All Gates Open. This album also has one of the all-time best can jams, A Spectacle, whose groove should be familiar to Q-Tip fans. It was recorded as the theme song to a German television program called Ospekte. Still. It wouldn't be a late-era can album without one turd in the punch bowl. On this one, it's can-can. And if you're wondering, is can-can that can-can? Yes. Can prove with can-can that the can-can is not something can-can. They even released it as a single. Oof. Can, or inner space as it's often called, is a mostly wonderful end to a wild career. Can disbanded with a whimper. There was no big breakup or fight. There was no press release. The band just ceased to be. Not long after they broke up, John Lydon had reached out, wishing to join Can as their singer after the demise of the Sex Pistols. But there was no band to join. Instead, he formed one of the first of the post-punk groups to carry Can's torch, Public Image Limited. Seriously, after listening to all this can, go and listen to some of the early post-punk, especially Metalbox, and tell me that those bands weren't trying to make their own version of can. Around the same time, Marky Smith reached out, hoping to get some Can the Fall supergroup on stage. But this was also not to be. Legend has it that our host Nick still cries himself to sleep over this missed opportunity. Most of the band embarked on healthy solo careers except for Rebop, who passed away from a heart attack on stage in 1983. Holger expanded on his tape experiments. Yaki, who'd become a hot commodity, played with a wide variety of musicians. Ehrman created a pile of film soundtracks, many of which featured former CAN members. But despite their success, nobody would fully escape the shadow of their towering work with CAN, and that shadow would only grow bigger with each passing year. I bet you're asking yourself, why is Aaron still talking? Didn't he just say that the band broke up? 
but here he is, introducing more music? Well, our story isn't completely done yet. We need to fast forward to 1986. A film producer, George Reinhardt, is looking to sponsor a new work by the defunct Can. Hildegard helped all the guys get back together at Michael's home studio in France, and she decided to enlist an unlikely fifth man. Coincidentally, that fifth man was also looking to record with Can. The two apparently sent letters to each other, independently of the other. Clearly, it was fate. So one day, who would arrive in France? But none other than our old friend, Mr. Malcolm Mooney. The sessions were apparently relaxed and fun, by Can standards. There were fights, of course. Can always had fights. The band has said it felt more like a vacation than a recording session. Holger would edit it all with no real urgency, and Right Time, as it came to be called, didn't see release until 1989. The interviews make it seem as if the band was looking to reinvent themselves, to become groundbreaking again, but they just didn't. Michael has said, it was the wrong time. Ermin has said about the album that it's okay. And yours truly, your narrator through this exploration of Cannes' catalog, says it's pretty terrible with some interesting moments. So this is the end of our story. The band would never fully reunite again, though they'd continue to help on each other's projects. Even Damo started performing again, but we won't focus on that. Can would never play again. Michael passed away in 2001, followed by Holger and Yaki in 2017, leaving only Ermin Schmidt, the core four, still alive. I hope you've enjoyed my exploration of the wild world of Can. I may not have written the book on them, but I did read it. Some fans might rightly point out that we did not in fact cover everything. I highly recommend the Outtakes album Unlimited Edition, which is considered canon by many, and as a coda to our coda. In 2012, a museum decided to buy the old cinema come recording studio of Inner Space. Inside, they found cupboards filled with old tape reels. They contacted Ermin Schmidt, and what they found was 50 hours of forgotten recordings. These weren't just demos and scraps, but completely finished tracks that they'd just forgotten to release. Ermin edited it all down to the three-disc Lost Tapes compilation, much of which is as good as anything on the albums. Despite how little of the 50 hours saw the light of day, Ermin has said that there's absolutely nothing left of value that they could release. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I've been accused of being overcockney on my on my greetings, so I'm going to fully embrace it. Um, you have just uh, listened to Aaron talk you through part two of the can discography. Um, while you were doing that, we were having a discussion about the word krautrock, which seems to be the name of the genre, um, but should it be? Um, rejoining us, as you know, Aaron, Nick, and Chris. Um, Nick. Well, we... the thing I was thinking about is um, during the first episode, I talked about the sort of concurrent rise of new German cinema. And in film critic circles, it's called new German cinema not Krautfilm, which just goes to show that film, like 
sort of film critics are a little bit more respectful, say, than uh, your British music critics who coined the term krautrock to describe the genre. But the thing is, it's it's one of those, um, it, it's so embedded, it's very hard to imagine calling it anything else. And I don't think it was rejected by the musicians. As far as I know, from what I've read, it was kind of, you know, it was accepted as, as, as the general name for this sort of thing. I, I guess as well, because it, it embraces so many different styles. What do because they call you've it got... in Germany? I mean, good question. I mean, you're you're our go-to for pronunciation on, on German words. <laughs> I'm not. In, I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> I don't speak German. Leave I just like music. I, I like pretending that I can. <laughs> uh, I think it was about two weeks ago. Uh, I was talking to my wife, and I said, "Yeah, then we're going to be doing this this uh, band big, uh, and this band can." Uh, Nick's a big fan of you know sort of bands like Krautwerk. Krautwerk? What the hell is Krautwerk? <laughs> and I got stuck in some horrible... But this is the thing, right? Is, is Kraftwerk and Can are, are both considered Krautrock acts, but, you know, Kraftwerk are a, a sort of like a, a electronica, basically. And then you've got these bands that are psychedelic rock, and you've got these ones that are sort of doing trippy ambient stuff. I also... There was a sign, of the t- a sign today that this should have happened today, because I walked out my flat this morning... And there was a green traffic cone, which I think is the front cover of a Noi album oh, yeah. as well. No, so, uh, Kraftwerk. Oh, okay, so basically, this should have happened today, and the uh, gods of Krautrock or other named genre were shining down on me. So there you go. Hopefully, our German listener will write in and tell us it's offensive, and then we'll know. And in future, uh, we'll we'll call it whatever we should call it instead. Well, currently looking at the stats, we have no German listeners. Well, maybe can will uh, change that. <laughs> or maybe we can just say what we want, and we'll 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 be fine. Okay, Aaron, um, last time we were talking about Can, they had just seemed to be getting to a peak. Damo Suzuki was comfortable. Uh, they were releasing tight albums. They seemed to have, they, they were controlling themselves. They were reining themselves in. It's just going to get better from there, right? Yeah, um, after this, they're going to release their, well, before that's their Holy Trilogy. This is their Holy Holy Trinity. So they go to a next level for the next three albums. The take no, it to the bridge. They don't at all. So with soon over Babaluma, which is where we're coming back, 1974. Um, wait, where the fuck's Suzuki gone? They replaced him with a violin, as far as I can <laughs> They decided they wanted some. So they just thought their German accents were more interesting than Damo is singing in multiple languages and gibberish. What was he kicked out or did he leave? Um. So basically, what happened is he one he got married, and two uh, he invited a Jehovah's Witness into his home, and he joined the Jehovah Witnesses and decided that music was evil. Didn't wow. Prince do that? Prince no, joined Prince, them. He did, but he didn't decide music was evil. He decided to just convert everyone to his religious ways. Damo yep. Suzuki still performs though, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he I think he played back. in he Leeds. I think he played in Leeds last year, I think. Doesn't does he, he just does he just do cover versions of All Along the Watchtower? Sorry, <laughs> I'm really proud. Doesn't of doesn't Damo Suzuki do a weird thing where when he goes to a city he recruits the band from the city that he's performing in or something like I, that? I, hope I think so. he, I don't know. I think he has like some kind of that. really like collapsed way of doing it. I'm sure I read that somewhere. Uh, I might have to fact check that before it goes on record. Nah. Cool <laughs> I know. I know. He, he performed with the uh, the Falls like last band after Marky e. Smith died, and the band wanted to carry on as uh, Imperial Wax or Imperial Wax Solvent after the album oh, yeah. where they joined. They come together. Their first gig was with Damo Suzuki. That's cool. But, but sadly, it wasn't to be a kind of ongoing thing. 
Okay, that's a different pod. We'll be, we'll be joining. That he's one trying. Time. He's trying. I tell you, he's trying. <laughs> I was hoping there we'd segue straight into the full podcast, right? We're doing a bait and switch here. Now let's talk about uh, live at the witch trials. <laughs> Dear listener, if you had um, post fall Dama Suzuki on your full bingo card, you can tick that off right now. Um, so they've they've lost Dama Suzuki. Um, the Singing is done by the rest of well, what's left of the band. Um, musically, has much changed, Nick? Not, not really. I mean, it, it is kind of... Um, I mean, the first time I listened through to the whole discography, I remember getting quite upset. Not not angry like you did at Sega Mega, but I was genuinely perplexed by sort of post-Future Days can. And going back and listening to it all again, I found that actually there was more to like in these later mm. albums than I had previously thought. So I think it was initially just that that first wave of disappointment that it's not as good. And it isn't. It really isn't as good. But there's still a lot of good stuff in there. And I think soon over Babaluma, um, I'm not a huge fan of the violin. Um, but but track for track, it's not bad stuff. It's just it's just lesser. Um, I mean this sounded I'm re- I'm using the word wazzy again. Um, it was wazzy, but there was also a mix of baggy jazz folk, um, all sort of thrown in, which didn't sort of make sense to me. Um, was it Comas de la Luna? It, remember when you were thirteen and you thought you were a DJ by just turning the volume up and down every so often, like you were pretending to be mixing? <laughs> or was that just me? No, that's just you. I think it's just you. Because that's what it sounds like to me. Some kid on the volume dial go. I've got um, I've got against that track, cosmic reggae. And I think oh. that I think that going forward, they just there was this kind of strange reggae vibe that, that just always. There? I thought it was a bit later that that kicks off that they get. Kind of... I just got it there. Maybe it does come in a bit more later on, but that is definitely something that I could it see the back does. off. To yeah, me I it's definitely. Tango. Hmm? To me, come star la luna is tango. I actually had cosmic Bavarian reggae. Does that get us more huh? towards tango? Well, this is the thing was. Um, I'm just like... going to keep adding words to you. Agree with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Throw more adjectives. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I think with um, so that with the backstory with of of Can that basically I don't know which member of the band it was actually who went to the US and came back to Germany and said like I've heard this amazing music I want to make music like that uh, and it was basically bands like the Velvet Underground and it always felt like that what they were doing was trying to make their own version of these American genres or other genres mm. that they'd heard and. In the kind of uh, this later can, there's this thing where they, it's like someone had described reggae to them, but they never actually <laughs> heard any reggae, right? Someone had someone had read a, you know, whatever was the equivalent then of a blog post about reggae and how it works, and they try to reconstruct that without listening mm. to the reggae, which is amazing, really. I mean, it's it's intriguing. They're always intriguing, just sometimes. Okay. I mean, I got I got their more reggae thing, like, like someone else said, uh, a few albums later. Yes. I mean, my notes for this was improv jazz folk with bongos, um, which sums it up a little bit to me. Um, the biggest I, thing I noticed about this on re-listen was the trap chain reaction. That's the one that stood out to me because it really had that, for me, that kind of um, like DFA, Foles type thing going on where you kind of got that kind of like, you know, punk funk type thing. And it basically just really reminds me of LCD Sound System. That's what it reminded me of re-listening. Yeah. Like basically at this point, he'd stop, you know, obviously you've got talking heads would be the biggest LCD system, LCD sound system reference. But there's something in this later period of can that James Murphy's definitely getting on. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of 
oh yeah just funky but kind of weird yeah definitely that's what got to me um, Aaron, I know that you're a, a big fan of LCD Sound System um, due to the fact that we had a vote on the Facebook group <laughs> and I managed to uh, put people into voting for oh, gay Christ. bikers on acid over LCD Sound System. Shocker. Um, <laughs> uh, Aaron, um, it, can you hear that here? Can you hear that sort of thing coming I, in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, Can is all over LCD Sound System and, mm. and he's made his... And he made uh, his influenced by them uh, very obvious in his song um losing my losing, edge yeah, yeah. he claims to have been at the first uh, can show that was recorded for their bootleg um primitive future i think it was called um but his claim is impossible because that gig happened before he was born james murphy is like a, is the doctor who of music he can yeah do he, he is he's just yeah. traveling around <laughs> prehistoric future sorry that was the name of the bootleg of their first gig um so okay so we've got this it's a bit of a mess of an album um it's not terrible it's not unlikable it's definitely got some likable elements yeah it's um, just not as good that's that's the only thing yeah. wrong with it it's not it's, awful at all it's There's considered a good album yeah. by yeah, who I mean, lore <laughs> in the lore <laughs> in the lore of can in, in its in in the canon shall we say oh. Um, <laughs> oh oh come on it was going to happen okay so we're starting the second part of their their musical journey um with a not quite as good but still very similar sound um they moved on from this a year later with landed um what the fuck happened with landed i mean oh. okay we've got full moon on the highway right um in the early 90s i went to see a lot of my friends bands and <laughs> obviously my friends were in sort of Grebo indie bands and some of them were experimental and i went there and i was quite polite about it afterwards if i grew up in the mid 70s and some of my friends were into experimental stuff and they weren't very good at it it might sound like this I, um, it, yeah, this is I just, kind of yeah. less experimental, though, isn't it? This is the thing. This is like this is oh, this is. You, you don't know my you don't know my friends. This is as experimental. Well, I wasn't as actually talking about them in reference to your friends' <laughs> band so much as in reference to Can's previous records. But um, I've got I, something I, here that says "Can Do Pub Rock." Exactly. Oh, that's, that's what. That's, that's exactly what I've got written here. Mid seventies pub rock. <laughs> it's, full Moon um, on the Highway is is like it's that, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, a mid seventies pre punk pub rock song. And I kind of like it. Yeah but, yeah, but you like it because it's part of the, the discography yeah. of a band you like. If this was just a, a track you heard, you would be, this is fucking awful. I think it's no. awful. It's, it's not awful. awful. It's this not album awful. is awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, and no, this, terrible this album, album has an amazing highlight. Um, was it Hunters and Collectors made me laugh hysterically because it's Flight of the Concords. It's Flight mm. of the Con <laughs> Flight of the Cancords. It's like they're they're doing a, a joke version of of the band. It even sounds like Jermaine Clennon. I was in stitches while I was listening to it. At Hunters some point, and Collectors. You... <laughs> no, it's got amazing lyrics. I'd, I'd like to read a verse to you if I may. I'm not going to do it in a German accent, but um... is this the thirty pages you just pulled out, Nick? Because we've got sick back. <laughs> no, it's on my phone. So excuse me if there's any kind of interference, because that, that's something Ewan's told me off for before. But now one of the verses goes as follows: Thirty leather king kids on the gangbang trail. <laughs> Get your big brown man with the snakes in bed. Dirty bother me now. It soaks into a cup. She says, if you don't start at all, you'll never have to stop. Was that Marky e. Smith? 
Obviously, when I do it, it is. <laughs> I mean, but at this point, they did they did get somebody to start writing lyrics for them. Oh, really? oh right. Uh, well, they got a, there. I mean, they had a guy they who became rich. their friend. Well, previously they just had random itinerant <laughs> foreigners who were obviously on bad acid trips that they'd found wandering around German cities, and they didn't they didn't really have to bother with lyrics. They were just people rambling, right? And suddenly mm. they didn't have Malcolm Mooney or Dama Suzuki, and they were like, shit. What are we going to do for words? And you could see they were struggling. So this is going to be a really random segue, but my microphone cut out and I'm not quite sure where it was. So I'm just going to say this, and at some point you'll hear me talking and it may not fit with what Nick was just saying. Anyway, moving on to flow motion. Smooth. Moving on to flow motion <laughs> in 1976. We didn't have a chance um, to talk about how bad Landed was. Oh, I'm sure we did. Yeah, we did. We okay, really did. Yeah, landed, landed was pretty terrible. It's not um, the bad. Go on. As was Flow Motion, my entire notes was, um, it sounds like somebody was recording a David Bowie demo of a B-side via a glass tumbler against the wall of the studio. Now wait just one minute, Ewan. Are you going to tell me you didn't like I Want More? That's, that's a banger. It's one of that their best top songs. 40 UK that was hit. And it's also the it, reason they met Noel Edmonds. That's what oh, I found out. Yep. On top of the pops, yeah. So we're not we're not passing over that song. No, no, no. You can say what you like about the album, which is mostly shit. But I want more is one of the best can tunes. And if you had to kind of find a pop can tune, yeah, like the, the, the most pop can, it's that song, and it's it's brilliant. It was all right. I feel like has that song been used in a really famous film or sampled Probably. somewhere? It's yeah, because. Everywhere. Yeah, I just it really yeah. It's like you say, it's just something completely different. It's like it's like an actual pop song, like an actual. Clap, it was like on hits. the soundtrack of Morven Kalar, but uh, maybe yeah. With Samantha obscure. Morton. Yes. Samantha Morton, okay, yeah. so so I'm not being totally obscure here. You do know what yeah. I'm talking about. There's a lot yeah. of can on the soundtrack of that film. Either you're not being obscure, or we're just trying to show off. <laughs> we just googled it. We just googled <laughs> it really <laughs> quickly. Yeah. Um, did you just pronounce it Morven Kalar as I opposed don't... to? How, isn't, how... It, isn't it C-A-L-L-E-R? Isn't it Caller? Oh, well, it's a name, isn't it? I don't know. I, it's not oh, German, maybe. so I don't know how to say it. <laughs> okay. Um, there is a pop song, which is pretty good. Um, there's more reggae. There's also their second worst tune. Oh, which is? No, maybe not. Third, fourth. Hang on. Sorry. There's quite a lot of bad stuff coming. Um, Cascade <laughs> Waltz. Oh, yeah. I think oh, Cascade Waltz is yeah. the first can song that really, oh, really annoyed me. Um, I wrote, it weirdly, sounds like. Go on. It sounds like Can on a Beach. That's why I sounded <laughs> like. That's Future just, Days, isn't it? <laughs> no, but it just sounds like you're lying on a beach. Someone's bringing you a very cheap drink. It's all just a bit unpleasant, even though it should be nice. That's what it sounds like. It's uh, just dread. Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, right. The first time we did we did the can immersion, I really really hated Cascade Waltz. It made me really annoyed. It was the it was the track that made me think, how can this be the same band? Where it was the thing that made you have to think about. It's like, did they even understand why they were good to be able to make this? But but, but is it the same band anymore? I mean, well, it, yes, yeah. For all intents and purposes, the only thing that's gone is the singer. Yeah, but you know, how many bands have properly survived after? their main singer disappears. Yeah, but they were never like... It wasn't Manic like Street Preachers. Oh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I have that. And it's, and it's got a double meaning as well, Ewan. You walked into it. He's disappeared and he's disappeared. So there you go. Was, was he the main singer, though? I didn't. I think he, he don't think he did anything. 
<laughs> I mean, there were rumours that they didn't even plug his guitar in. That's I mean, what I'm alluding to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm really sorry that, yeah, he's not the lead singer. I just saw a joke. <laughs> I saw a joke. I went for it. And I failed. So it's time to leave now. Well, hopefully there's no one really upset about that listening. Good. Well, um, Richard's parents. If, yeah. I mean, if, if they are, if, if people are listening who aren't to Richie's parents and they are still waiting for Richie to come back, I've got some very bad news for you. Oh, you're digging uh, a hole now, Ewan. You're really digging a <laughs> hole. You know, you know now that Richie's parents are going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> why? Why would they? Why, why would anybody listen to this fucking podcast, Ewan? Because <laughs> I sort of tell them to. Because they want to learn about Can. It's been on the Crowdwalk Facebook group. That's why. Exactly. Along, alongside some um, A-grade 1970s Krautrock vinyl, which is all that's on that. That's all they talk about. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> but, um, wait, sorry. There's also <laughs> uh, Smoke EFS number 59, which I quite enjoy on this album. I thought that was um, incredible. I love that and track. Aaron, yeah. you, you, you'll be able to tell me. What does EFS stand for? Uh, that's the Ethnological Forgery series, which they've been doing since the very beginning. Right. Or they just take styles of music from around the world and do their own version of it. Right, right. Because it, it doesn't crop up on many albums. Because I knew it was a thing. But there's this, this and then there's something on uh, three albums time, which is awful. Yeah. Um, but this one, Smoke, it reminds me of Dum Dum by Bottle Surfers. <clears throat> Only reminds me of that, nobody else. But that's, you know. Yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was an aggressive silence, Nick. <laughs> yeah. I know, I, I, I felt it. Was that the Zoom equivalent of tumbleweed? I felt, Has anyone got I, a tumbleweed emoji? I felt the full force of that silence. <laughs> um, oh, listen, if you haven't listened to the Butthole Surfers um, pod, it's actually pretty good. That's what um, you were supposed to say, Ewan. I set you up. I, I was too busy thinking about what I'm going to say to the parents of Richie Manic. I, um, I can see why okay. you're concerned about that. <laughs> so... I mean, I, I mean, I've got nothing more to say. To be honest, to be honest, from this point towards the end, I don't have much to say about most of these albums. Um, Aaron, this is your band. This is yeah. your treasure. Well, not this part of their discography, <laughs> but um, I mean, I actually had written the exact same note as Nick. I, I, I think it sounds like they're they're making reggae from reading about it in a book. That's the exact words I use as well when writing my little review. Um, they're just, I think it worked with funk because their, their version of funk was the same thing. It's like they read about funk in a book and decided to make some funk. And when you're this mechanical German thing, it works for funk music and you created something new. When you're doing it with reggae, which is all about the emotion and the heart, you can't do reggae without heart. Mm. And this is them doing reggae without heart. They're just going through the motions of reggae without what makes reggae good. It's like, it's a it's a terrible a simile of it i think it's just okay, okay yeah. well let's move on let's move on um saw delight s-a-w delight terrible cover oh yeah terrible name um and the death knell of most bands i think is when suddenly they start to have afro beats and there's a lot of afro beats creeping into this album there's a reason yeah. that defense, in their defense hmm? they had a ghanese percussionist join the band so it was authentically Afrobeats, mm -hmm. but still, there's a it's, there's there's moments where you start to think, oh, are they going to ever come back? From well, the this? thing is, when that album starts, I remember when I first listened to it, it starts up, and I was thinking, oh, this is good. This sounds like they're back on form. And then gradually, you realize, oh no, wait, this is Moonshake again. Basically, yep. the first track on the album, "Don't Say No," is a is a reprise of Moonshake from Future Days, 
and obviously not as good because Damo Suzuki's not on it. But, but it still feels we... like it's them saying like this is the new us. Mm. That's why they that's yeah. why they picked the chose to redo one of their songs. Like this is the new can. They got a new bassist. They got a new percussionist. But it doesn't work. Well, they already had a perfectly good bassist though. He apparently Wait, wasn't so, good enough. So how much how much of the lineup has changed now from the albums I half liked in episode one? They've just added people to the band. Yeah, the same same people were in the band. Holger Chukai is still in the band, right? He he leaves later, right? He leaves later, but in this album, he's playing the telephone and the radio and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was he was <laughs> originally... what it says on the liner notes. Holger Chukai, telephone, radio. So just feel a little bit like he's being sidelined there, though, doesn't it? Because he was the bassist. <laughs> they brought in a, a, a bassist from Ghana. He brought he no no it's a it's a percussionist from Ghana and a bassist from Jamaica oh, okay, who okay. dressed like Doctor Who. He had a big Which long doctor? scarf. He had a big long scarf and oh, Tom he looked Baker. like Doctor Who. Oh, Tom Baker, okay. Yeah. That, um, that's our God. second Doctor Who reference in the last ten minutes. That's I unbelievable. Know. Unbelievable. I've never even seen Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> I mean. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask a question at this point. We've got a couple more albums to 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 go through, um, and we're obviously going to do it. But what is the point sometimes of wading through stuff that you know <laughs> is is about fifty? No, about twenty five years ago, I was in Las Vegas and we were walking down the street, one of the back roads, and there was some police. And I looked over, and there was a sheet on the ground, and it was obvious something horrible had happened. And I couldn't keep my eyes off it. Was it Richie Manic? Uh, no, 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 no. He was still missing at that point. Um, and I couldn't keep my eyes off it. But I knew it was something awful. This exercise of going through um, being completists, being musical music completists, and wading through the bad parts of, of a band, especially when you know they don't get better again. You know, it, it, even the most ardent of Fish fans, of, of Marillion fans, probably stopped listening to Marillion after Fish went. You know, there's there's a point where you just have to go. Oh, shall we just shall we just stop? Um, but we're not going, are we? Was Grendel after Fish? Because Grendel was great. Now look what so you've done, Ewan. Look what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> you've got Ewan to defend Marillion on our fucking Can podcast. <laughs> no, well, I mean the thing is that this, that's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. That's that's the that's our remit. That's you know. I mean, if we don't do that, we're not temporary fandoms, are we? That's, that's so, kind of... so okay. The so light is worthwhile, somewhat. Uh, okay, well, we've got out of reach next. Okay. Nineteen seventy-eight. Now that's um, a stinker. I didn't yeah. finish it. This was when I went. Now, nah, fuck this. Uh, I'm, I'm, this. This is the twitching corpse. I'm. Uh, I'm trying not to look at, and I have not a lot to say about it because I turned it off. So, that second song is a is it called Pauper's something? Pauper's daughter and die. Is an abs- in that is <laughs> that's like dictionary definition stinker. That is. Yep. It is. But it made it but it made me think a bit about it did make me think of um that kind of lin- like do you know Kurt Schwitters mm-hmm. the German artist Kurt Schwitters so like he was um he was um what's the word? like assemblages and like surrealism and that kind of like data almost kind of thing. German, um, he was taken from Germany. He lived in Ambleside in the Lake District for a while. That's where he was when it, but anyway, it's that lineage of that kind of German art movement of just like absurdism. Do you see what I mean? It's almost passable. 
And you almost go, oh, maybe this is really clever and I just don't get it. But then, I mean, I love Kurt Schwitters, but on this one, there was nothing to get because it's a stinker. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because I, I was going to say earlier with, 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 say, Cascade Waltz, later on coming back to it, I didn't hate it as much. And there is an element of that, <laughs> that there is something of the absurd about it where you mm. kind of think, actually, maybe it's okay. But yeah. I don't think... I don't know. It's going to take a few more listens and it's not going to get I think them. If, I think if you ever have to ask yourself, maybe this is okay, the answer <laughs> is probably no. Not a, is this good? Is this though. okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, this is, this is getting into more abstract art stuff. I think there's stuff in art <laughs> where you do ask yourself if it's okay and, and you, the, the stuff that challenges you. That's not what Can are doing here, though. It's, it's just... And I think it's it's just a bad your... record. <laughs> yeah, but it's like going back to your point, Ewan, about this idea that you listen to all the albums and try to convince yourself that it's good, even though it's not. It's like the Neil Young problem. Like, I love Neil Young, and there is some kind of all right stuff in the later years, but a lot of it, you're just trying to convince yourself. You're like, it's got to be good because it's Neil Young, and Neil Young did after the Gold Rush. It has to be good. But objectively, it's just about his car, and it's shit. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's something going on here where you're trying to convince yourself that, may, that it must be good because they can and they can do this stuff and they can be weird, but it's just it's just horrendous. Something... Do, you reckon, do, you reckon do you reckon there are still Smiths fans sitting somewhere going, "Now Morris, Morrissey's going to be all right again. Morrissey's going to come back <laughs> <Of course>. from this." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But there's something like um, you and alluded to earlier as well. The, the difference with uh, listening to music in the streaming age is, um, you know, back in the time when we bought records. Yeah. I used to buy records and then put the effort into liking them. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that was always a bad exercise, right? Because there are records that I put the effort into liking that I now love. And I think when you don't own a record, you're probably not going to do that. You're not going to bother because if you don't like it on the first two or three listens, well, I don't own it. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to bother. I'm just not going to listen to it again. But if you own a record, you think, well, I'll keep trying. Maybe I'll get there. And that's partly, I think, what's why... I, I like what we do as well. Is, is it, it does make you go back and listen to records, and sometimes it is worth doing that. It's a worthwhile exercise to find good records. And I wish I could now say that that was the case with Out of Reach, that that was one <laughs> such record where you put the effort in, keep listening, you'll get there, you'll get there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't got there yet. You probably won't. It's. I think there's a lot of cut price funk on it as well. There's a lot of funky <laughs> bass, and I'm not really into. I mean. I'm just not really into funk anyway. No, I don't want to. I know, I know. I realized as those words are coming out of my mouth, I didn't even look at the screen because I couldn't look you. I couldn't <laughs> look you in the eye, Aaron. I couldn't even look and say it. But I, there's something on this that it, this is not the funk that's going to turn me onto funk. That's all I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? It's it sounds like the title of a funk album, right? <laughs> this is not the funk that's going to turn me on to funk. Yeah, we're definitely Two. getting Chris back for Aaron's Funkadelic episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, now oh, that's yeah. what I call funk that's not going to turn me on to funk. Yeah. I mean, I did. I thought there were parts of this where uh, Roscoe's bass work reminded me of Bootsy Collins' bass work mm. on One Nation Under Groove, some of his fills. I could kind of get into that. He's clearly a more, uh, yeah, he's he's a bit more of a virtuoso than uh, Holger was, but he's also more boring. Like, <laughs> some of these, I, I think what's happening here is, uh, like, one of my descriptions is it kind of sounds like, a bad Santana cover band <laughs> covering a Santana disco song. Wow. Oy. Does Rob Thomas sing on what it? What it feels like. 
But this is what I think is happening here. Like what? Like basically, Roscoe and Rebop, they come. They came from. Those the are made of names, right? <laughs> <laughs> Their names were Roscoe and Rebop. They're the new members of the band. Um, they came from. They came from like a real working band. They came from Traffic, and they were professional. Traffic had been around for many, many years. They were used to writing songs. You come up with your songs, and you get your royalties for writing the hits. And there's always this. Oh, bump my mic. There's always this um, competition between people, and they're used to being in a professional band. And Can't isn't like that. Can is yeah, about big mistake. just creating things organically, and it's about having the right chemistry. And these guys did not have the right chemistry with the rest of the group. They were fine musicians. I think Rebop and uh, Yaki are having a fun time together. You can hear they love playing off of each other. Um, so is it sort of like when, 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 you, when you change jobs and you turn up like... Yeah, imagine you've been working at a big company for years. It's a bit old-fashioned, but it's very professional. Um, and then you go to this cool new hipster marketing agency uh, where everybody's got hacky sacks and nobody's actually doing the work they're supposed to do. And you're just sort of staring at them going, yeah, but that's all very well and good. But who's going to make the presentation? That's why they kicked, but that's why Holger left the band because uh, Rebop was so angry at him because he's just sitting here making weird noises and they're like, you're a clown. <laughs> we're trying to make music here and you're just taking your radio and like turning it to random channels and seeing if it maybe fits in with what we're doing yeah but he you're had the ruining... last laugh right because he went off and made uh cool in the pool i'm not familiar you with don't, cool you don't know that pool. shoot cool by the pool cool in the pool oh come on it's a great title i don't know if it's a good song it's a good title it's, but i do think his found sound if, if you like um if you like kind of the poppier side of can with kind of silly germanic lyrics Go and listen to that. Treat oh, because in my if, in my head that was like some offshoot of Cool in the Gang. There was Cool in the Gang, <laughs> then Cool in the Pool, then Cool on the Beach. <laughs> um, it's it, it's quite telling that um most of the time we're we're digressing into other stuff. Um, but they sound like a bad up? jam band. That's yeah, that's essentially yeah. it. Yeah, they sound they sound like like that band that a fish fan that you'd meet in the parking lot of a fish show, and they'd be like, "You really need to hear this tape I hear," and you're like, "No, <laughs> this is shitty. I don't want to listen to the string cheese incident. I'm sorry." <laughs> um, I've lost track of where we were a little bit because we've just been talking about the next album on the list. Oh, we, is, uh, have we moved on to Can Can yet? Can Can. We're just about we are now. <sighs> so the the late late career self titled album. If, yeah. if we were that kind of show, can, we'd, can. Play, we'd play the. The klaxon right here. <laughs> oh, we should we should do that. We should get some sound effects and call ourselves something like oh, Booty. <laughs> hey, welcome to Booty and the Boo Boos. <laughs> but Can has it all. Can has the mid seventies stab at doing reggae. Oh, you? We've lost you. Have you? Not you. I can. Sorry, Aaron. Me? Can anyone hear me? Hello. I can hear. I can. Loud. We can all loud. hear you. Oh, okay. We can hear everybody. Uh, okay. Um, can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay. Sorry, I. Uh... And each other. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for a second there, I lost everybody, but it seems you're all back again. My, is that you pretending? Yeah, yeah. totally, absolutely. Yeah, don't do that. Um... Can you hear now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, okay, so. Um, can has it all. Aaron, can you go back to Can has it all? Um, basically, Can has has all of those band cliches that you get when you listen to full discographies. They have like the mid seventies dive into reggae. That's really they shouldn't have done. They have the let's go disco for a bit. 
They have the late career self-titled album. Mm-hmm. And that's this one. <laughs> well, let's you know what? Let's just skip over it and go straight to the no, return. No, of no, 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 no. This no, album is this album is really good. No, no, oh, it's, all, it's got all, good stuff on it. It's all okay, fine. It's got all good stuff Open's on it. a classic. All Gates Open's amazing. The track. The spectacle is probably one of my favorite can tunes. Uh, mine too. I'm hoping it's one of the ones you, you chose for the playlist. Yes. There you go. And I'm hoping you Maybe. didn't choose no. Can Can. <laughs> all I might have chosen All Gates Open. Okay. That's a great song. Yeah. You've got two. I, yeah, I think this. I think this album is. I I think All Gates Open through a spectacle as a whole is really good. Yeah, exactly. You listen up to there, and then you must. And then you stop. must stop. You don't must go listen, no don't further. Listen, don't listen to Can's Can Can. Off I just the Can album. Next to, next to Can Can, I just wrote Buzzkill. <laughs> That's the and I don't think I've ever actually used that word, but this is the perfect example of a Buzzkill. Well, because it comes after one of their best tunes. Spectacle's Absolutely. great, and then it goes yeah, into exactly. Can Can. Which I don't know. I mean, we've got like Cascade Waltz, Pauper's Daughter, and I, and and Can Can. I mean, they're all contenders for the worst Can song. You don't you even just... have uh, don't don't tell me no roses with roses in quotation marks. That's not on your list. <laughs> or give me yeah. no roses. Give me no roses is the one. Yeah. Was... Or like Inobe God. Those aren't on your list either. <laughs> you just feel like they would have got the can can thing out of their system a long time ago. I just can't believe yeah. it's taken them this long to. <laughs> but I kind of like. I kind of like that it's billed as one of the what is the ethnic forgery series, so it almost like excuses it. It's just like, oh, we're just this is like a found object, <laughs> you know. We're just it's just an experimental piece. It's not us doing what bad manners would do just as badly ten years later. And it's so bad because they do the can can and they do it badly, and then they stop the can can to play ping pong for one minute on the record, <laughs> and then they reprise can can. <laughs> well, come on, you gotta love them, right? You love them a little bit for that. See, this is the point to, to which that's the that's the kind of thing that you listen to and you go, "Do I just not get it? Is this like profound and really deep?" And you know, this is like a this is like you know a band working at their peak. And you think, "Am I wrong? Am I you the had, bad guy?" You had to be there, Chris. You had to yeah, be there. That's, a, that's what I felt like when I thought Donald Trump was going to get reelected. I woke up and I'm like, "Am I the baddies? Like, is Donald Trump actually a good guy?" <laughs> And then all of a sudden you heard. Did Can ever do the ill-conceived reunion in later dates, like oh, play yeah. shows? Um, I think you've just written our segue to the last album. Oh no, but like, okay, okay I'll, we'll come back to it. Let's segue, and I'll come back to my actual point. I think I've missed missed next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So funny you should mention it. Um, they did get the band back together um, with the return of your favourite and yours, uh, Malcolm Mooney. <laughs> Mooney was back for the next one, right? Yeah, yeah he yep. was. He was. And um... I think the point I'm trying to get to is: did they ever do an All Tomorrow's Parties? That's what I'm asking. I think because they Ooh. feel like the kind of band. Because I they know that, like Ermin, I think Ermin might have played Huddersfield Contemporary Festival or something. I was reading about this. <laughs> Which is quite a big deal, bigger than you think for Huddersfield. But I wonder whether they've ever done like an ATP or something, because they feel like a prime, you know, like the Don't Look Back series. It feels like every curator of All Tomorrow's Parties will have tried to get Cat. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Um, If you go onto the ATP website, there is a Demo Suzuki section. He he played at, Demo Suzuki played at Nightmare Before Christmas, curated by Portishead. I did not go to that one. And uh, was it Can or was it Damo Suzuki? It was Damo Suzuki. Oh, right. Okay. There you go. So that's the one thing they've yet to do. 
Oh, I don't know how many of them are still alive. It's a bit late left. Yeah, I was going to say, that was my next question. Yeah. Well, the five-month run in Vegas. It didn't stop that hologram of Tupac, did it? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, we'll, what I'll do is we'll get Richie Manic, hologram, plus Tupac, and Jackie Love Time. Jackie Love Time. Supergroup. Yeah, that's my supergroup. So, the, the return of Mooney, um, who was responsible for me really not looking forward to this whole thing when I started listening to it back in the day. Um... How was it? Was it like a um, a, a drunken uncle uh, turning up at the party, um, or was it actually good for you, Aaron? Uh, I think it's pretty terrible. Um, there's some interesting textures going on with the rest of the band, um, and then Malcolm jumps in and ruins it. It's simply put, it, Malcolm ruins this album. It could I have been good it, if he wasn't on it. I, I think it might it. be the worst cover. The worst cover art. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's Absolutely. terrible. It's like a really bad sew by Peter Gabriel. That's what it looks like. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like a really bad version of that. But all their all, all of their covers fit into their brand. Even mm. the bad covers fit into can brand, and this is just looks like a totally different thing. It looks like oh. someone's just fired up MS Paint and had a quick go at it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's no there's no skill in that cover. I do. I yeah. I do know someone who likes this album. Uh, what? Fish. Jonathan Fisher. Jonathan Fisher uh, is a defender of this album. Regular listeners will remember Jonathan Fisher as the person we made do um, some of the bad. Was it some of the bad Bowie? <laughs> he did. He did the last part of Bowie's career. He did the, the episode three stuff. Um, oh, we had the ninety. No, we, we yeah. We made Jonathan Fisher do nineties Bowie. Yeah. Um, and he sort of half enjoyed it, which might explain why he likes this album. Yeah, he's a bit of a deviant, isn't he? It isn't all bad. Like I think the first track is all right. Hasn't the first track? Hasn't that first track got that weird kind of chuggy, funky metal vibe? It's got yeah, a really. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I remember thinking it was just a. I don't know. It gave me bad feelings. I I like that. And the below this level is actually kind of <laughs> catchy. <laughs> catchy. Pretty bad, but it's catchy. It's catchy in the way that like if somebody sings something at you for long enough and hard enough, eventually you might catch it but not, not in a pleasant way. I remember it's... I had quite an extreme reaction to Hula Hula, but I can't remember which way. I'm pretty sure I know which way. <laughs> yeah, no. And the more I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to just kind of, like, you know, like revisit those feelings that I had, and I think they weren't good. Yeah. I had no, I had no emotion. By this point, I was numb. Um, I'd got to the point of going, yeah, this is just bad. I have to listen to it because I've got a podcast coming up tonight. This is just bad. I wonder what time it finishes. Oh, the chase is on. Um, and then started watching TV. <laughs> At some point, any... they layer his out-of-key vocals, like like this really, like this cool, like we're going to layer these vocals and create these harmonies, but they were all out-of-key, and it says, why did you even bother? Oh, sorry. I hate this album. It's Here's the thing, though, right? Because it feels very much like we're about to finish on a very bad note, because this album is, I mean, it's, it's, there's not really much in the way of redeeming features but they did have a box set recently, right? In the last oh, right. five years. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Do you, mm-hmm. do you know anything? What was it called? I was just trying to look it's it up. It's called The Lost Tapes. Lost Tapes. The Lost yeah. Tapes, right? Excellent. Yeah. Better name than Cannibalism, which they tried before. Oh, yeah. a bunch of, They got a bunch of people to remix their stuff. Oh, it was um, the album Sacrilege Sonic as well. Sonic Youth. Yeah. And... That's Sacrilege. That's well worth listening or to. Or Sacrilege. Really like that. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah. 
That was actually that, probably the first a, Can album I heard, which isn't really a Can album, but isn't that another classic thing to do? The remix album. Just get mm. loads of people who are more your proteges to remix your albums. They've ticked that off the list. But well. they were doing yeah, this totally. before everyone else. They went African before everyone went African. Like Peter Gabriel and and yeah. David Byrne, they were just babies basically <laughs> when they did Afrobeat. <laughs> By babies, I mean they were thirty years old, but still. Um, okay, so um, it, it probably is a good time to wrap up part two. Um, if you're listening to this and you're still listening to this, thank you. Um, secondly, there was probably some random cuts halfway through the episode because different microphones and different things kept cutting out mainly mine um but musically we got to a relative high at the start of episode one (laughs) it's been a rather steady decline with a couple of good songs along the way um ending with falling straight off a cliff with the return of malcolm mooney um there is some good stuff out there, uh, sacrilege and the anthology stuff to go and explore a little bit further. But if I'm being really honest, um, go back to episode one, and that's where the good stuff was. Even I liked it. Um, the, nobody seemed to be defending stuff towards the end of this. Um, they definitely were interesting um, for a bit. Um, I may have um, really been angry last time, and I'm less angry now. Um, Aaron, I know you said you can't pick one. Pick one. Um, one that will get you into the band, or one to no one that the, the, you're allowed to keep one, and the rest get given to this me. Is, this is gonna. This is gonna be. Oh, because I was gonna choose Take Omega, but if you're gonna get given it, then I'm, I'm not having that. Choose an album, Aaron. Pe- people might call me insane, but I'm gonna go for soundtracks. Oh, okay. I can Be- see that. Mainly because of Mother's Guy. I think Mother's Guy is... Yeah. The best. Chris? Monster movie. Weirdo. Nick? <laughs> uh, it's, for me, it's between Taigo Mego and uh, Ege Bamiyase. But I don't know which one. I don't know. Do I try to choose? A, you're a purist, Nick. Purist. I am. I am a purist. To the end. <laughs> well, with that... No, do you know what? I'm going to take Taigo Mego because it really upset Ewan. <laughs> God, it got me so fucking angry. But who's anyway, the, who's the best singer though? We haven't we haven't figured out who the best singer is. Oh come on, it's, there's no question. It's Demo, yeah, Suzuki. Demo Suzuki. It's definitely Demo Suzuki. No, no Rebop defenders here. All right. <laughs> this has been twelve episodes. We didn't think we'd make it this far. Um, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you to all of you. Um, Aaron, thank you for all of your hard work and joining us nice microphone yeah thanks for having me and thanks for giving me a chance to use my new microphone nick cheers <laughs> bye hey can i ask the big question aaron why did you buy the microphone In case you couldn't tell from the podcast, you just listened to one of my very favourite bands. I hope you enjoyed them. But if you didn't, whatever. There'll be another one along soon. And whether you enjoyed it or not, I'm still going to thank all the participants. They were Norway's finest American stand-up comedian, Aaron T. White, and Scunthorpe's sharpest British sea power enthusiast, Christopher Whitby. As usual, I was joined by Ewan, who I earnestly believe should go and listen to Targo Mago one more time, 
and the synth interludes were composed and performed by Jonathan Fisher. See you next time, when we'll subject you to a completely different band. Until then, I'm Nick Hilditch, and I want more, and 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 more.